Good morning. I've been looking forward to sharing this sermon with you. If you're new to the congregation or visiting, uh, my name is Dan. I'm an elder. I don't normally preach. Um, Prior to Christmas, my son Noah forwarded a link to a sermon. And after I listened to it, I found myself engaging in worship throughout the Christmas holiday in ways that I hadn't previously experienced. The text that I'm going to use this morning is the text that was used in that sermon. I've been praying for our time together this morning. And I know others within the congregation have been as well. I believe that Holy Spirit is present. As Gary mentioned, and as you see, we've rearranged the service order. Um, In addition to rearranging the song time and the teaching time, Um, The elders throughout the song time will also be reading scripture passages that they personally find worshipful. Our desire is that as a result of what happens here this morning, we will all be encouraged in our worship of King Jesus. How would you define worship? Worship could be defined as regarding someone with or something with great or extravagant respect, honor, reverence, or devotion. Our primary text this morning will probably be familiar to most of you, if not all of you. It's a real-life example of persons who displayed great and extravagant respect, honor, and reverence to someone they thought was worthy of worship. Please turn to Matthew chapter 2. And our primary text will be verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes 
of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. I hope to demonstrate that worship is intentional, all-encompassing, sacrificial, and directed. Before we begin considering these aspects of worship, would you be willing to pray silently and ask God to give you a heart to worship Him this morning? God, please reveal yourself to us today. Soften our hearts. Lead us to repentance if appropriate. And give us a desire to live a lifestyle of worship pleasing to you. Our text documents an account of nameless persons who traveled from an unknown location following uh, an unusual star to worship a child. Why did they do that? Because worship is intentional. Let's read again Matthew 2 verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the child was to be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people. Have you ever thought to yourself what kind of light-emitting object that star was? Have you ever wondered how the Magi knew that that specific star signified the birth of the King of the Jews? Although the scriptures do not explicitly state that other persons had the ability to see the star or that other persons had access to the same information that led the Magi to worship Jesus, I personally believe that other persons may have had access to the same information. However, merely having access to that information may not have led anyone else to worship Jesus. Please listen to me. If you and I ever worship Jesus, it's because we have intentionally decided to do so. Consider verses 3 through 6. From the text, we see that others heard about the star. Others heard the prophecy. Do you think that it's possible that the Magi read Isaiah 7, verse 14? Turn there with me. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. How about Isaiah 9, 6, and 7? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Consider Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Genesis 1, 14 and 15. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them, bear, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years 
What do you think God meant when he said the stars would be for signs? Turn with me to Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. So I acknowledge the Magi didn't read Luke chapter one or chapter twenty-one, right? Um, but it may apply to us. And as you can see, there's a reference to stars serving as signs. So let's read that twenty-five. So Matthew, uh, Luke chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-five. There will be signs. In, in uh, the sun, moon, and stars, and upon the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But then, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So Jesus is responding to the apostles asking a question about future events. And he responds, indicating that the stars will bear signs of when that event, those events will occur. Is it possible that the star the Magi saw was a burning ball of gas created thousands of years earlier whose light just happened to reach the earth at the time of Jesus' birth? Could God do that? He, he could. Or is it possible that the star was an angelic being? Consider Revelation chapter 9, 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 and verse 2. And the fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. So that star was a him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So my point is not to speculate what, the, what prophecies the Magi saw or read, or what that star was. My point is, whatever the Magi knew, it was sufficient for them to, it was sufficient to enable them to worship the child born King of the Jews. And it was possible that others may have had access to that same information. How many of you saw the gorgeous, beautiful sunrise January 1st, the first day of this year? 
Am I the only one that gets up that early? All right. Well, this, this will make that point. Uh, it filled the entire sky with lines of deep red, light orange, and violet from the eastern skyline to the western skyline. It was huge. The whole sky. I submit to you that everyone in independence could have seen that sunrise if they looked. If they removed the obstacles that blocked their sight, they physically could have seen it. Furthermore, anyone who saw it could have responded in awe and worship of the one who created it. If you did not see the sunrise, it is not because you could not see it. If you did not worship in response to that sunrise, it wasn't because you could not worship. Perhaps you and I are like the other bystanders in this story. We do not engage in worship because our intent is not to worship. Worship is intentional. In our house, we have this, ex this expression. You gotta have a gotta wanna. If you don't want to, chances are you aren't going to. I have some questions for you to consider. When was the last time anything in the sky or anything in Scripture led you to worship Jesus as King? Perhaps some of you may want to say a prayer of repentance. Jesus, please forgive me. I have not worshipped you as I ought to have. Perhaps some of you want to say a prayer of worship right now. Jesus, you are worthy of my worship and praise because you fill in the blank. I'll give you a couple minutes to think about that. Let's read Matthew 2, 9 through 12 again and consider my second point. Worship is all encompassing. Matthew 2, 9 through 12. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until, they, until it came and stood 
over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed from their own country by another way. Note that the Magi use their sight, their intelligence, to take note of the star, to discover the significance of the star, to plan for and make a trip. and to plan in advance for their worship. It was not by chance that these magi ended up at the feet of Jesus, worshiping. Consider their emotions of great joy when they found where Jesus was and the physical posture of their bowing to the ground in worship of their king. This account provides an example to us that worship is all-encompassing. The kind of worship the Magi expressed involved their body, their soul, and their spirit. Let's explore how the scriptures support this idea that worship is all-inclusive. In Romans chapter 1 or chapter 12 verse 1 it says that living holy with our bodies is an expression of worship to God. Consider with me Matthew 15 verses 8 and 9. So turn to Matthew 15 I'm going to actually start at verse 7. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. This passage affirms that the focus of our emotions on God is essential. We cannot worship God if we are not in love with Him. Please turn with me to John chapter 4. Verses 23 and 24. John 4, 23 and 24. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If truth is right thinking and right feeling, and your soul is your thinker-feeler, then Jesus is specifically stating that worship involves both your spirit and your soul. The Magi worship their king with their entire beings. Worship is all-inclusive. I have a couple more questions for you. If what we do on Sunday mornings represents the extent of our worship, would you say that we practice all-encompassing worship? No. What kind of emotions do you express to your king? Are they something like this? I love you, God. I'm totally my thumbs, not really paying attention. Um, is your posture something like this? Not really very reverent. Can you think of a time that you worship your king in an all-encompassing way? Think of the time. When was that? Yesterday? Last year? Ten years ago? If you can't recall a time, or if it's been a while, what are you going to do about that? The third point I have is that worship is sacrificial. As an example, the Magi sacrificed much to worship this child, born King of the Jews. In verse 2, we see that they traveled somewhere west of, from somewhere west of Jerusalem. We don't know where. From verses 7 and 16, we see that Jesus, or that Jesus may have been born two years earlier. Suffice it to say that the Magi may have traveled months to get to, to, get to Jerusalem. This kind of trip certainly would have involved sacrifices of time, resources, comforts. We do not know the quantity or value of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that the Magi gave to Jesus. We don't know. However, we do know that the text states whatever they gave the Magi themselves thought they were treasures. Let's consider what the scriptures prescribe as the cost of discipleship. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24.
And I'm going to read 24 through 26. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's also look at Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I suggest that our King is worthy of our worship involving sacrifices of time, resources, comforts, and relationships. Do we worship sacrificially? I have some more questions for you to reflect on. Have you ever traveled any distance, spent any resources, or sacrificed any comforts for the exclusive purpose of worshiping your king? When was the last time that you literally bowed to the ground offering something you treasure to King Jesus. We've considered that worship is is intentional, all-encompassing, and sacrificial. I suggest to you that there is much freedom in how where, when, you personally live out these three aspects of worship. The last point we'll consider this morning, that worship is directed. There is absolutely no option to who is worthy of our worship. True worship is exclusively and entirely directed to the God who revealed himself in the scriptures. Let's reread Matthew chapter 2, verses 2 and 11.
Matthew 2, verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 11. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. What possessed the Magi to worship this child who is likely less than two years old? Do we have any one to two year olds in here? Not quite. They're small, right? Um, in what way did the Magi think this child was king of the Jews? How did the Magi know this child Jesus was worthy of their worship? Although the text does not answer these questions, let's consider some other texts that confirm that Jesus was indeed worthy of their worship. Throughout the scriptures, it states that we should only worship the God of the scriptures. Let's read again uh, Exodus Chapter 34, verse 14. Chris read this earlier. Exodus 34, verse 14. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Finally, Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. For I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. So from the beginning to the end, we see in the Scriptures the God of the Scriptures 
is the only one worthy of our worship. Let's look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. Who was this person that Abraham worshipped as Lord? I believe it was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Please turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 8 and 9. Matthew 28, verse 8. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Jesus didn't stop his disciples from worshiping him. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And I'm going to read through 18. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of, called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow. 
in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he, had, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive. Furthermore, I have the keys to death and Hades. So the disciple John, who Jesus loved, sees Jesus after his resurrection. And how does he respond? He's on his face. Jesus' worthiness of worship has never been derived based on his human office or earthly standing. His worthiness of worship has been and always will be based on who he is. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And I'm going to read to verse 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Finally, Philippians chapter 2. Starting at verse 9 and going to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In summary, worship is directed. We are commanded to only worship the God of the Scriptures exclusively and entirely. 
Jesus is one of the persons of the triune God revealed in scriptures. Jesus is therefore unmistakably worthy of our worship. As I finish, I have a couple, two more questions for you. I'd like you to close your eyes and think about what you did yesterday. Close your eyes. What did you do yesterday? I'd like you to be honest with yourself when I ask you this next question. Did any of the memories that flash through your mind remotely have anything to do with worshiping Jesus? Who did you worship yesterday? If you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Lord, and you have never acknowledged your need to be saved from the penalty of your sin, I encourage you to talk to me or one of the other elders. It is impossible to worship Jesus as King until you acknowledge Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Worship is intentional. It's all-encompassing. It's sacrificial. And it's directed. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of great extreme reverence, adoration, honor. God, I pray that we would learn to worship you in a way that's pleasing to you, in spirit and in truth. That we would live a lifestyle of worship that we would not deceive ourselves in thinking that what we do here Sunday mornings is sufficient. That, that we worship you adequately. And God, I pray that you would change our worship though here Sunday mornings. That, that our worship would be all-encompassing. That we would worship you with our spirits with our emotions, with our intelligence, because you are worthy. Amen.